Now, uh, something really awesome just happened this weekend. I don't know uh, if you caught it. Uh, if you don't live in Alabaster, you might not be aware of it. If you're watching online from, from maybe out of our area, you might not be aware of it. Friday night, by the way, we got a pretty good football team. Our high school here in Alabaster, Thompson High School, has a pretty good football team. I don't know how many of you know that, uh, but they have gone to the state championship four years in a row, and when they won Friday night, by the way, they spanked Hoover. Uh, sorry for all our Hoover folks. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> they just, you know, beat them to death, like 40 to, you know, minus 40. I don't know, something like that. It was crazy. <laughs> beat them to death. And when they did that, they secured their fifth state championship appearance in a row. So they lost five years ago, won the last three, and then uh, this, this year they'll appear again. Now, here's what's interesting about it. This is a rematch. You might not be aware of this, but um, Thompson is going to play Auburn uh, in the state championship. Now, if you're like me and you're glad to hear anything that begins with Auburn lose, yeah, I don't know who all that applies to, but it's Auburn High School. Uh, so Thompson's going to play Auburn High School, and they're going to rematch because in 2020, you know, the year of COVID, Thompson played Auburn for the state championship, and it was one of the weirdest games. It, it actually made it on Sports Center, I believe, uh, and uh, Sports Illustrated caught it. There are a lot of things written about it. But what happened is Thompson was losing almost the whole game. Like it started kind of good, and then Thompson got behind and never could catch up. And then uh, Thompson was losing by nine points, 30 seconds left in the game. How many of you remember this? If you remember, how many of you, oh, there you go. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm not the only one. Not, uh, uh, 30 seconds left in the game, just under 30 seconds. They're losing by nine points. And you look over at the sideline, and the Thompson players are hugging each other and, like, crying and patting each other on the back, like, this is terrible. There's no way we're going to win. It's over. It's miserable. You know, we hate this. How disappointing. How sad. And then something crazy happened. Auburn played very conservative to try to hold on to the win, and they didn't make a first down, so they punted the ball away. And as they punted the ball away, one of Thompson's players blocked it, scooped it up, touchdown. Now you have a two-point game with seconds left on the clock. So Thompson kicks an onside kick, recovers it, drives down a little further, and as time expired, kicked the game-winning field goal to go up by one point. Now, right? Yeah, I, I, come on. There you go. It was good. It was good. All our Thompson folks, we love you. And so um, in 17 seconds, Thompson scored 10 points. In 17, you would have thought it would have been absolutely impossible. And the players for Thompson thought it was impossible. <laughs> and the Auburn team thought it was impossible because they were over dancing up and down and celebrating and chanting and all that. You know, the Thompson sideline was all dejected. And then in 17 seconds, the sideline switched. The total opposite thing, and they had to live with it. So this is going to be a fun rematch. It did remind me, though, have you ever been in a place where you thought um, there was no way out? Have you ever been in a situation that there was a problem where there seemed to be no solution? Like you thought about it, you thought about it, and the more you thought about it, the more you went, there's... There's no solution. There's no way out. There's a jam. I'm in a jam. 
and I don't know how to get out of it, well, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three things that you can do when you're in a jam, all right? Before I do that, let me give you the background of the series that we're actually ending our Thanksgiving series today, take you back to where we started, and then I want to give you three things you can do when you're in a jam. Psalm 103 verse 2 tells us, this is David looking back on a jam he was in and thanking God for what he had done, just like uh, we, we heard in worship a minute ago. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. When you see the word pit, I just want you to substitute jam. <laughs> That's a jam. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. So uh, you've probably heard the old phrase when somebody says, man, this is the pits. You ever heard that? Man, this is the pits. Like this is, this, this is just bad. And usually what they're referring to is some circumstances or a relationship that's not gone well or maybe a, a, a bad place in their headspace. Let me tell you what King David was talking about when he wrote, redeems your life from the pit. The pit was a physical location it was, a, it was a cistern. And I, wanna, I brought a picture of one this morning. I just want to show you if you put that up. So it's a cistern. And what a cistern is, is it's a balloon-shaped uh, container that was underground. And it had a small opening just at the ground level. And if you can see this picture, what you can see is it would catch rainwater and, and the rainwater would drain down into the cistern and it would hold fresh water for people who lived in an arid or dry or desertous place. This is the way that they retain, you know, fresh water. So um, it was made oftentimes out of solid rock. And if there was a drought, obviously the cistern would be dry. Or if there was a crack in it, the water would drain out. It wouldn't hold water to be dry. So sometimes when a cistern, there was a drought or a cistern got old and cracked, they would use it to catch wild animals. They'd put, you know, kind of disguise it and an animal would fall in, then you got the animal. Sometimes they would use it as a temporary holding place for a prisoner. If you had a person you captured and, you know, they didn't have jail cells or whatever, they just drop them in the cistern. And here's the thing about it. There's no way out. Like when you're in there, you're, the sides are smooth. You're not climbing out and they're concave. So you're not, you're not climbing out. You need a ladder or a rope or help or something. Um, so it's a, it's a hopeless, helpless place. Like there, there's no way to get out of it. And if it did rain, you'd drown. The last thing you wanted to see if you were in a, in a pit, in a cistern, is rain because you'd actually drown. So what I, what I want to do, I'll show you, uh, the, this is the top of an actual cistern in the Middle East. So you can see it's just kind of like a little tunnel that goes down in the ground. You wouldn't even be able to climb to the top of where the rocks start. So there's no way that you'd ever, you'd ever find your way out. So it's a, it's a death trap, basically. Now, King David used this word because he wanted to convey the emotions that he had felt at different times in his life of being alone, being stuck, being discouraged, being trapped, spinning your wheels but not actually getting anywhere, having no future. It kind of, it kind of reminds me of... Um, when I used to help with uh, uh, my kids' high school football team, we'd have football camp everywhere. And one year we went to this great retreat place to have football camp. And you walk in, you go, man, this is such a nice place. You know, look at this. It's beautiful. And then by Friday, you go over to the room and you look in, you go, man, this place is going to the pits. I mean, you know, 
It smells like, you know, football equipment. And I mean, this, they, they have blown this thing up. That, this is what's happened. This is, this is the pits. And so all throughout Scripture, you see people who've been in a jam. You see the children of Israel who were released from slavery, who were trying to get away from Pharaoh, running into the Red Sea and being trapped between Pharaoh, who's coming to kill some of them and take them back in slavery, or the Red Sea, which they would drown if they got in. You see Daniel, who was thrown in the lion's den, who was thrown into a pit with lions with no way out. You see Paul the Apostle, who was shipwrecked and sometimes caught in the open ocean in a boat in a storm, and there was nothing left to do but pray because there was literally no way out. We've all experienced being in a pit. But this is an um, unusual, or not unusual, but a unique picture that King David is drawing from. He's actually drawing from one of his own ancestors, Joseph. So Joseph had 10 brothers. Uh, they were jealous of Joseph, and they had every right to be. It's a long story if you know the story. But their jealousy turned to hatred, and they devised a plan to kill Joseph. And so they said, okay, well, we're going to capture him. We're going to uh, tell our parents that a wild animal ate him, but we're going to kill him. At the last minute, they got cold feet. So they didn't know what to do with him. So while they were trying to decide what to do with him, they threw him in a pit. They threw him in a cistern, an empty, dry cistern. They put him down in there to try to decide what to do with Joseph. And now here Joseph is in a jam, in a pit, with no way out, a problem with no solution. This week I saw a, a Facebook post from a, an old friend. I, I haven't talked to since college, but I knew him in college. And he and his wife were um, called to ministry, really talented. And they planted a church 21 years ago. And this church has grown and become dynamic and amazing. And I have no idea what happened. But something happened because this week I saw on his Facebook post, he said, um, I've lost everything. He said, I lost my wife. I lost my children. I lost my church family. I lost my livelihood. Um, and for many, much of the last few months, I've lived on the verge of homelessness. Now that, that guy's in a dark pit. No way out. I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened. But we all find ourselves, maybe not that catastrophically, but we all find ourselves at some point in another in a pit. And, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this again. Because we're in a mental health crisis, people will oftentimes do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And most people are either anywhere from a little bit more unhealthy than normal to way more unhealthy than normal. And so the, the, the jam, <laughs> the pit that we find ourselves in, maybe you're in some kind of pit today. Maybe it's a, a rival company has snuck up and, you know, stolen some of your customers, or maybe it's a diagnosis, or there's a relationship that you're in that's just trapped. There seems to be no solution. The economy, man, we're kind of all in some kind of economic pit right now. Maybe you have a, a teenager that's, it just, you just lock, you just like this at each other, and there just seems to be no 
no way to resolve it. Maybe a death in the family or a loved one that you know who's suffering and all you can do is watch because there's nothing you can do to change it. Maybe, maybe for you, your pit is circumstances that you're in that somebody else caused, but you're having to live them out. I'm always amazed at how small something can start, but how big it can get. <laughs> you know, life has a way of unraveling. Th things have a way, and you back up sometimes, you say, remind me how we got here again? Like, how, how did this happen? How did things get this bad, you know, this fast or, or whatever? Joseph ultimately was not killed by his brothers. But that doesn't mean that life got better. Uh, you could argue that life got worse. He became a slave in Egypt. He became a prisoner. He was, he, well, he was falsely accused when he was a slave, and then he became a prisoner for years. And you've heard from the frying pan into the fire, he went from the pit into prison, from bad to worse. And David, though, is recalling this story from hindsight. Don't you wish you had hindsight now? I wish I had, I think that's called telling the future, you know, but I, I wish I had, I wish I had hindsight in the present. I wish I knew exactly how God was going to work it out. I wish I knew exactly when God was going to work it out. But we don't get hindsight. But this is what David is doing. He's drawing hindsight from Joseph's life. We don't get present hindsight on our own life, but we do get hindsight on the people's lives who've gone before us. And we can look back at their life. So you and I can look back at Joseph's life. We can look at David's life who was saying, forget not all the Lord's benefits. God's going to work it out. You know, when we squeeze as much faith out as we can get to say, okay, God, I, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see, but I know you're going to work it out somehow. And we do our best to encourage ourselves and remind ourselves, and we can draw from people's life like Joseph and go, you know what? If you got him through that, I bet you can get me through this. If you brought him out of that pit, I bet you can bring me out of the pit that I'm in now. So David's remembering Joseph's life. Look at uh, verse 4 one more time. He says, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. See, Joseph kept following God, and he kept listening to God, and he kept hearing from God year after year after year when he was in this pit. And then something impossible happened. God worked it out so that Joseph actually got out of prison and became promoted to the second most powerful leader in Egypt. Now, let me just tell you how crazy that is, okay? You got a guy who was from an, another ethnicity. He was from another country. He was a foreigner from another land. And then, he was, and then he was in prison, or actually enslaved by his own family, sold for money by his own family. I mean, that's about as much betrayal as you can get. Made his way into um, servitude, into servanthood, into somebody's house, and then he was falsely accused, put in prison. It's kind of like throw the key away. They buried him and throw the key away. But God, through supernatural means, brought him to the second most powerful person in the land. Let me tell you how crazy it is. That would be like someone uh, in, in Honduras who had been captured by the Russians or the Chinese who were a prisoner of war, becoming the second most powerful person in China or in Russia. 
Like these, uh, uh, Egypt was not a democracy. You didn't vote. It was a dictatorship. So imagine a dictator taking someone from another country who was a slave and a prisoner and making them the second most powerful person. It's actually nearly impossible. Maybe it's never happened again in world history. But God raised Joseph to that place so that he could help with the famine that was coming. There was a severe famine coming, and because of Joseph, not only did Egypt have food, but the Jews had food too because Egypt had enough to feed themselves and feed the Jews, and God wanted to preserve the Jews because Jesus was coming from that bloodline. Now, here's the hook. Joseph's family had to come to Egypt and beg for food. Guess who they had to beg from? Joseph, the one they threw in a pit. And they had to face him eye to eye and say, you know, you think he remembers? <laughs> you, you, think you think they didn't know it was him at first. Joseph had every right. He had every right. And he had every opportunity to enact revenge. This was his chance. You throw me in a pit, just wait till you see the pit I throw you in. You do this to me, wait till you see what I'm going to do to you. But look, Joseph remembered that he came from a pit and that God raised him up and put a crown on his head and he remembered what the crown was made of. Do you remember what it was made of? Look at verse 4 again. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns your love and, crown, and crowns you with love and compassion. You know what I've learned about people who follow God through a pit? They come out of the pit more loving and more compassionate. Because that's what God does. God uses it somehow. In Genesis chapter um, 50, verse 20, it says this. This is Joseph's words. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Isn't, isn't that amazing? People who find God in the pit are crowned with love and compassion. So here, let me give you three things that you can do. Three things that you can do when you're caught in a pit or a jam. Number one, look for God's purposes in the pit. Look for God's purposes in the pit. Look, sometimes if we're honest, we're in a pit because we dug our own pit. Right? Sometimes we're in a pit because somebody else dug the pit and we fell in it. Sometimes uh, we're in a pit because, let's face it, sometimes life is the pits. <laughs> sometimes life has pits. And that's just the way life is because we're in a broken world and we just fall into one of those pits. But when you're in the pit, however you got there, you just have a few choices. You can quit and start to hang curtains and decorate and go, well, I guess this is just my new life. My life is the pits. It's always going to be the pits. And nothing's ever going to change. And you can accept it and just let it suck the life out of you. Or what you can do is what a lot of us do is you can actually try to dig a deeper pit. You can make it worse. 
through self-medication and self-destructive behavior, and you can decide, I'm just going to be mad. I'm just going to be angry. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to get this person back or these people back, or I'm going to get God back or whoever you're mad at. You can just hunker down and get filled with anger or bitterness or slothfulness and, and lose control of your whole life by digging a deeper pit. Or you can wait on God, and you can see His purposes at work. And here's what that looks like. When you're in a jam, you have to start to ask God some things like, God, is this a, is this a setup for a miracle? Is that what this is? Because sometimes God allows things to go on for a while because it's a setup for a miracle. Because until it gets to the point that He's the only one that can fix it, somebody else would try to sneak in and take the credit for it. But when you got a guy who was a slave and a prisoner who ends up second in command of the land, there's nobody else that can take credit for that. It's a setup. Sometimes it's not a setup for a miracle. (laughs) Sometimes it's God using the circumstances to do a deeper work in your own life. Sometimes God's saying, finally, I've got you still. Like trying to catch a cricket, you know, under a cup. You just won't be still. But I've got your attention. And I intend to use it for your good. I intend to use it to help you. I intend to use it to surface some broken pieces that have been stuck in there since childhood or your last marriage or the job that didn't work or whatever. I'm going to surface it. And now that that we're here in this jam... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this out, and, and you're going to be so much better off. And so God sometimes uses these things to do an inner work of healing. The miracle's not on the outside. The miracle's actually on the inside. I remember um, times in my life that I've seen God use other people, use their suffering to benefit someone else. Sometimes what God will do is he's, he's allowing you to go through this because he's going to raise you up as a voice of encouragement and hope to other people who go through hard things. So about, I don't know, maybe it was uh, two and a half, two years ago, something like that. For those of you who know our story, you know, we've had a lot of tragedy in our family. My wife's suffering with a terrible disease. Our kids have uh, type 1 diabetes, and it's just been an overwhelming life. And I was trying to figure out how we would get our youngest son to college. And and, uh, look, when you're a caregiver to three people, (laughs) uh, there's not enough of you. And so you never have time to really figure things out and do the things you should do and think things through. So you just act, you just react all the time. So in, in one of my low moments, I was trying to figure out, I don't have the wherewithal to go to try to find, you know, scholarships and all of that world that's foreign to me anyway. I don't understand all that. So to try to help my son, I just sent an email because I thought maybe this is the, the most I can do because I can't figure out what else to do. I'm going to send an email to the financial aid department to the school where my son's going to go, and I'm just going to ask him, where do I start? Because <laughs> I don't even know where to start. 
So I just crafted this email. I gave about a paragraph. Hey, look, here's where we are. My wife's got these issues. You know, we've got these diabetic issues. Do you have a scholarship for that? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what to say. And, and I fired that thing off to the general email box. I, don't, I didn't know what person it would go to. And that weekend, like over the weekend, a man from the financial aid department of the school named Jeff responded, and he said, when I read your email, my heart dropped. And I thought, what, what is this? And he said, you and I have never met, but I want you to know something. Uh, my wife, uh, I think she had cancer or something. A few, just a couple years ago, she suffered and died, and I lost my wife. And I, th I think they have four kids, two adopted and two of their own. And I've been raising these kids by myself, and I'm a type 1 diabetic. And I'd never met anybody who had, you know, such similar issues. And, and, and you may say, oh, great, well, what was the answer? Listen, just listen to me for a minute. Please just hear this part. That was the answer. There was no help immediately. But the fact that there was a human on the earth who understood. I can't describe for you the hope and encouragement it brought to my soul in a dark time. Sometimes you're caught in a pit, not because God ever puts any of us in a pit, but because he's going to use the pit that you went through to help somebody else out of the pit that they're in. Does that make sense? And so if you look for God's purposes while you're in the pit, it will give you so much more strength. It will give you so much more encouragement if you look for his purposes. And let me read it one more time. This is what Joseph ultimately found. He found God's purposes for his pit. Genesis 50 verse 20 says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to the position so I could save the lives of many people. What's he doing? He's looking back over the jam he was in. And he's saying, now I get it. Can I tell you something? If you'll keep following God, the day will come. You'll look back on this pit and you'll say, now I get it. Now I get it. Now I understand. But you don't get that oftentimes in real time. And here's the thing about it I want you to notice. God is so good. He's so good. Let me tell you what he can do. He can even take someone who intends harm for you. Joseph's ten brothers decided to kill him. And at the last minute changed their mind and just sold him into slavery. Their intention was to hurt him. And there are people in your life and my life that either they intended to hurt you or just because they cared more about themselves than they care about you, they hurt you. But I want to tell you how good God is. He's so good, he can make something good out of it. If you'll follow him, if you'll let him. All right, 
So in a jam, what do you do? Look for God's purposes. Number two, look for God's perspective in the pit. We become so over-focused on the struggle and we lose perspective and we have to learn if you're in a jam, let me give you some questions to ask yourself that are going to help you find God's perspective. Here's the question. When I get to heaven and I look back on this jam, how will it look then? Because if you can figure that out, your perspective is going to change. Another question, God, how does, this perspe- how does this jam look to you? And you look, God's given us a wonderful tool called prayer that you can actually use and say, God, well, Holy Spirit, would you help me right now see this challenge from your perspective? And we have an entire Bible of 66 books with stories about people like Joseph and other people who were in a jam who we can look through and say, look, that's how, that's how it, that's what happened in hindsight. That's what David's drawing off of. He's saying, listen, he redeemed him from the, he redeems from the pit and he crowns with love and compassion. So we can ask those questions and then we can even ask the Holy Spirit who the New Testament, 1 Corinthians says, is a comforter in all our needs, who comforts us in all our troubles. And we can even ask him, Holy Spirit, would you comfort me right now and help me to trust you because I'm struggling to trust you because I can't see. My vision is blocked right now. Now here's the last thing you can do when you're in a pit. Look for reasons to praise God in the pit. Sometimes, I love what Brady said earlier during worship. Sometimes we're always thinking about, you know, what God's going to do or wants to do or set up or whatever. And we forget what God's done. We forget what God's done. And so when you're in a pit, sometimes there's not as much to thank God for immediately, not because he's not working, just because we can't see it yet. But what you can see is what God's done. You can see what he's done. And you can look back and say, and God, I thank you. So what you have to do is you have to look for reasons to praise God while you're in a pit. I remember when our, our youngest son was, uh, was five years old and he was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes and I didn't even know what that meant. But he was... We took him from the doctor's office to the emergency room to the hospital, and he stayed there for a few days, and we just lived in that hospital room trying to figure out what what does this mean, and and what do we have to do, and is he going to be okay? And at one point, the, the doctor looked at us and said, listen, he's okay to go home, but you're not okay to take him home because you don't know how to take care of him yet, and it's going to take you about six months to learn it. Now, it doesn't mean he has to stay here six months, but it's going to take you six months before you really know how to do this. So you're not ready. And I remember how how sad I felt, how discouraged I felt that my five-year-old son was suffering and he was stuck in a hospital, and I couldn't get him out of the hospital, 
because I didn't know how to take care of him. It was so overwhelming to me. And I remember leaving the hospital. We had, my wife and I had taken turns and I was going to go home and take a shower and get some clothes and come back. And I was so overwhelmed. And I went out of the um, hospital into the parking garage. And I heard this, you know, loud music. It was a concrete, multi-level parking deck. And I heard this loud music just, you know, and I was thinking, what an obnoxious person. You know, with their car doors open, just j- turned it up to the ceiling, just jamming. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have time for this today. I, I, I wasn't ready for anything obnoxious. And then it hit me. Whoever this crazy person is in the parking garage is actually playing a worship song. And that worship music was reverberating through that parking deck right down into my soul. And it's like when I walked into that parking garage, I, I, it's like I, you, you ever walk into a glass wall that you think you can see through it and you can't see through it and you hit it and you go, oh, that's glass. It's like I walked into a glass wall of God's presence. And I said, oh God, there you are. There you are. I didn't know where you were. Because I haven't, I haven't been able to find you, to feel you, to see you, to hear you, to nothing. But there you are. And as I walked in my car, I just started singing. And I said, God, I worship you. I worship you because you're good in spite of it all. And let me tell you what I learned. When you find a reason to praise God in the pit, do you know what it does? It changes your perspective and it helps you to see God's purposes even in the middle of a difficult time. You want to know how to do the first two? Do the third one. And it'll help you with the first two. Would you stand with me this morning? Sometimes you have to remind yourself of who God is. Psalm 107 verse 1 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His love endures forever. I just came this morning to say to you, God's good. The jam, the pit you're in might not be good. The thing you're going through might not be good, but God's good. And so we're going to sing this song about the goodness of God. And what I want to invite you to do as we sing it together is just try to remember a time that God was good to you. Try to remember a time that God did something good in your life, and I want you to draw from that and, and worship Him. And, and look, maybe this is your first time at Kingwood. Maybe you say, you know what, I don't, even, I don't even know if I believe God or have a relationship with Him. It's okay. It's okay. You are absolutely free to sing or not sing or watch or whatever you want to do. You're invited into this moment. And so as a family, those of you online, I just want us to sing this song about the goodness of God. Lord, we thank you today that you are good. And even though there's a lot of bad things that happen in the world, and there's a lot of bad things that we do as people, it doesn't change your goodness at all. In fact, it makes your goodness shine brighter. So today, Lord, we lift our eyes up to you.
to know you, to hear you, to see you, and to worship you. We change our perspective this morning, and we ask you to give us your perspective. In Jesus' name, let's sing this song.